And welcome back to an open line portion of Coast to Coast, kind of our pre-Christmas open lines, if we would. And let's go right to the phones. Let's start with Eric, truck driving in Indiana. Hello there, Eric. Good morning, George. How are you? Merry I'm Christmas doing fine. And happy New Year. How yeah, are those roads uh, out there tonight? Oh, they're just fine and dandy. They're dry. Yeah, it's real good. Good driving tonight. Uh, what I wanted to say was, George, that um, I wanted to wish everybody on Coast to Coast a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and hopefully in all the uh, runner-ups for the presidential uh, adventure here, and um, hopefully by 2024 we'll have, or, you know, 25, whatever, we'll have us a good, a little better situation than what we got now. So um, I got a question for you. All right. Uh, you know, back in the day when you was a young kid, and this is a Christmas qu- question. I like to in- try to enjoy Christmas this time of year. It's, it's so it's the best time of the year right here for everybody. I think where everybody needs to put aside all their all their other stuff, you know, their baggage, whatever they got, and uh, think about something nice to say to someone. And I want to ask you if you ever had visions of sugar plums dancing in your, in your head when you were a kid the night before Santa Claus came. <laughs> I could hardly sleep, Eric, before Christmas. Those Christmas Eve nights with my sisters, we were all just so anxious to see what my parents were doing and what was going on. And this is after the grown-up stage of Santa Claus. But in the beginning... You know, it was exciting. It was just, it really was. And, you know, my parents and my mother's still alive. She's 94, God love her. We're the most generous, kindest people I've ever known. And uh, they've instilled that in us. And, uh, but Christmas. Well, they've done, they done a good job, George. Your your parents did. And I, I'm just hoping that uh, there's a lot of other people that grows up to be just like you. <laughs> well, we don't want them just like me, but close, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well. All right, and yeah. you're going to be listening to our Christmas night show? I'm going to try, George. If not, I'll catch you. I'm an insider, so I'll be able to listen to it sometime. All right, my friend. You'll be well. You're going to love the show, and we're going to be playing some Christmas music and just having some fun. Let's go to who's up next. Jeremy in North Dakota. Welcome to the show. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, George. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. Uh, the first thing I want to tell you is the other day you asked me the name of that stock position, and I said it was Renova Health. Yep. And I thought I would give you the ticker for two. How much have you made so far on this thing? Oh, I'm still waiting for it to climb <laughs> to $28 or $22.88. If it hits $28, how much are you worth? At $22.88, and it sells, I'll have uh, $999 million and a few more dollars than that. What are you going to do with I, that kind of money, Jeremy? Um, my first thought to do with is I'm going to take 22% of it and open up a tithe trust to uh, help other people out. Well, good for you. 
Now, what are the chances of that stock? Because what's it, what's it selling for right now? Right now, it's at point zero 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 one in a share. Point zero 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 one. Okay. Yep. So and that, a few months ago, it spiked up to point zero 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 two. So that's like a thousandth of a penny it's selling for. But when you talk about the forty over forty two million shares, I have that. Now, how much did that cost you to buy forty some million shares at that price? Um, the cost of it was point zero 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 nine cents a share. But I mean, how much was your investment? Um, I, the entire investment was about of uh, uh, a little a little over three thousand dollars. Three thousand dollars to make nine hundred million. Not a bad guess, huh? Not really. All right. Good luck, Jeremy, and we'll t- listen to you on, uh, hear you on Christmas. Next up, Max is with us in Oregon City, Oregon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Max. Well, hi there, George. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Well, welcome to the program. What's, what's up? Well, I was just thinking about some crazy jingles uh, that uh, Burma Shave used to have, uh, Along the highways back in the 50s, like the wheel put Jonah down the hats, but coughed him up because he scratched. <laughs> Irma Shave. Her cheer race 90 per, they picked up what had been her Irma Shave. Those who drive while they're drunk carry their casket in their trunk. I like that one. Irma Shave, yeah. Anyhow, I want to wish everybody a, a Merry Christmas, and I swore that was you. Tommy says it was not you. The bumper music I heard at 11.38 here on KEX in Portland, it got to be me, and I'm, I'm almost certain that was your voice. It may have been. You never know. <laughs> Anyhow, uh... You ready for Christmas, Max? Uh, I'm ready for Christmas. Hanging in here, and, um... Like I say, uh, enjoy every moment you guys are on the air. All right, thanks, Max. blessing. And, um, thank you very much. All right, my friend, you take care. Lita's with us in Colorado. Welcome to the program. Hi, Lita. I'm fine. Are they still talking about bouncing Trump off the ballot? What uh, What are they saying about that? Well, it, I don't know, but it's terrible because I think we should be able to vote for or against him however we want. I, You know what? I tend to agree with you. I, you know, whether you like the guy or not, you should be able to decide yourself. Yes. And uh, if he qualifies... You know, they, they're citing the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, saying that he was part of the insurrection. He could have done a much better job when that was happening of getting people calmed down and getting them out of there. I would agree with that. But still, I don't think that should disqualify him from trying to get on the ballot. No, I don't think it should either. And I don't I don't always I didn't always like what he said and did on his tweets and that. But I think he was he would be best for our country. Well, he may be. We'll see what happens. What's going on with you? 
Well, I wanted to ask you what that drink is. Um, I don't even know how to say it. Uh, you you talked about it with Dr. Grieger. Uh, Kombucha. Kombucha. What is that? Uh, Kombucha. I don't even know what it is. Oh. I don't, I don't, I don't drink the stuff, but it's... Is, is it a, it's, an alcoholic it, it, drink? No, it's not an alcoholic drink. It's it's to help your 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 gut like probiotics and stuff like that. Does it? And you've never tried it? I've never tried that. No. Oh well, would you please ask your callers to tell us what it is? What it does it taste? Oh, well, I'll investigate it during tomorrow's open lines. We'll talk about it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Love your show, and I. Listen every night. Whereabouts in Colorado are you? I, I'm near Denver. I'm in Aurora. Okay, we go to Boulder once a month to do our Beyond Belief TV shows out there. It's a gorgeous will state. You, will you ever do uh, your show, you know, where, where everybody can come? A live show in Denver? Yes. That's conceivable. I'm not ruling that out. It's a great city for us. Because... Um, I would love to go to one, but, you know, the airfare and the hotel stays. You have 500 yeah. friends you could bring with you? 500 friends? Yeah, bring them to the show. I don't have that many friends. I'm sure you do. I I had nine children. You had nine kids? Eight living, yeah. I have oh, my gosh. Children. Good for you, though. Okay, Lita, talk to you soon. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right, I'll have uh, Tommy check into that drink for me and uh, send me a little email on that thing. Ed in Tehachapi, California is with us. Hey, Eddie, welcome. Hi, Hi George, and uh, Merry Christmas to the entire Coast audience. You too, Ed. Thank you for the the heroic job you do day after day, your whole staff. And uh, I know I don't normally talk about that because it seems overwhelming to me what you guys accomplish. and. Uh, so I, I'm just, I'm thankful for all that you do. And by the way, kombucha, kombucha tea is, is, is a, a kind of tea you make it from, put a bunch of tea bags. Uh, you can look it up online and they even sell kombucha now in grocery stores and bottles, but it's a, for that lady, it's a, it's a fermented form of, of tea that, uh, ends up being, and maybe you can put other things in it. I've just never seen it made any other way than with tea bags, but the, it does. It ferments, and then you get a lot of good probiotics out of the chemistry. Okay, so it's pretty healthful for you. Oh yeah, you know, that's why they bottle it now and sell it in grocery stores where all the juice drinks are. You know, the the green drinks and the orange drinks and those. The, you know, healthy drinks that are in bottles and that they actually sell it, at least in my little grocery store here up in Tachapi. Excellent. What else is so, new with you, Eddie? Well, uh, I thought this was a good time for a little mystery uh, puzzle. Um, uh, uh, even a, a, could call it a treasure hunt. And you being a, a good singer and sensitive to songs and their lyrics and stuff, I thought I'd bring up something I discovered about 30 years ago, and when I first heard it, I thought I was crazy. I thought, no, nah, you didn't really hear it that. Anyway, it turns out it's true, and what it is is if if you have the reader, the listeners that are 
I'm used to listening to the radio and listening to Christmas songs. When uh, Judy Garland's wonderful song, her version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, mm-hmm. when, that, when that comes up from 43, 44, 1943, 44, okay, listen to the stanza where, she, where the correct stanza is, Faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us once more. Right. We're familiar with that, right? You yeah. are. You know you of know course. lyrics and stuff. Well, there's a version that I hear every once in a while. And in fact, what made me think of it again this, this holiday season was <laughs> I actually heard it on an FM station down in Bakersfield that goes from playing heavy rock music to playing Christmas music this time of year. And I actually heard it on that modern mod station. Uh, the version came up one night, because I kind of get in the habit of listening for it, where she sings it, and she says, faithful friends who are near to us will be dear to us once more. Now, how on earth that version ever got out? I mean, was it a bootleg copy somebody stole and it somehow worked into the the musicana of America, or... I even have one queued up. I, I have a, one of the old Time Life. Uh, remember the Reader's Digest and Time Life used to put uh, uh, a number of, alb- of of vinyl together, like for sure. Christmas or for different things, okay? And I have one here right in front of me called the Time Life Treasury of Christmas. And it just so happens, I didn't even realize it till I checked it last year, and I have the version that's wrong, queued up right now uh, on my, uh, my high-end stereo. That is amazing. How did if you, you do like... that kind of homework? Well, don't ask me. I, I, but I have it queued up here. Would you like to hear the? I mean, not, I don't have the whole. I have it queued up right before the part where she flubbed it. Let me hear it real quick. Yeah. Okay. Hold on a second. All right. Here we go. We're going to hear a little bit of Judy yeah. Garland. There it goes. Yeah. You got it. Now, so the question is, how did that version, that's why I'm calling it part puzzle, part mystery, and part treasure hunt, because the listeners, all of our fine listeners out there, um, when they're listening to Christmas music and this song comes up, see which version you hear on your radio, because how that it's obvious that the song was recorded at the same time. That's the old, you know, you can tell from this, sound of, of the recording that that was made in 1940s technology, tube technology. Yeah, it sure has changed, hasn't it? Yeah, but what do you think? I mean, I, it puzzles me every Christmas when I come across this version every once in a while. She uh, probably just recorded it that way and forgot the words. Well, no, what I'm getting at is the, the correct version comes up often enough Okay, as I said, the first time I came across the wrong version, I thought I misheard it because I could never figure out how 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 did it how did this version by mistake get, probably yeah. probably somebody who gave the uh, the the print had the wrong one. Yeah, I mean it had to be something like that, but it's kind of a neat little mystery or a puzzle or a, or like I call it a treasure hunt this time of year whenever. Her song comes up. I, I listen to see if I'm listening to the 
correct version or not. Most of the time I hear the correct version. I miss those old days of records, Eddie. I miss those old days. We're going to come back in a moment here on Coast to Coast and talk about why people fake their deaths. And don't forget, we've got full open lines tomorrow night after my special interview with Robert Morningstar. And then we've got Connie Willis doing the shows on Saturday and Sunday, Christmas Eve. And I'll be live for you on Christmas night after your festivities. And if you don't have family, we're your family. We'll be back in a moment. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. I want to thank all of you for participating uh, for years now that we've been doing Coast, Coast to Coast. Uh, we're going to be starting. I will be with my team the 22nd year in January. January 3rd marks the beginning of 22 straight years doing this incredible program that was uh, created by Art Bell, and uh, we will miss him. It's hard to believe that uh, in April of this year he would have been gone six years. It's crazy times. Elizabeth Greenwood's going to join us for a moment talking about death. That's part of people's lives every day, but in her case... She says a lot of people fake their deaths. Good morning, Elizabeth. Hi, George. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. We're keeping you up late. You're on the East Coast, <laughs> aren't you? Sure am. Middle of the night over here, but I've had plenty of coffee, and I'm really excited to talk pseudoside. What an amazing book and subject. <laughs> oh, my God. How did you, you, how did you get involved in even writing about this? Well, there's the short story and the long story, and I'll give you the thumbnail on each. So okay. the short story is that I, um, in 2012, wrote a profile of a man named Frank Ahern, who at the time worked here in New York. And Frank is a quote-unquote privacy consultant. So he is a person who helps people disappear, both physically and digitally, uh, a lot of people bring up that character on Breaking Bad, uh-huh. Walter White in the last season. He's kind of the real-life version of that, although he claims not to do anything illegal. You can really actually vaporize without resorting to illegal means. So, you know, one of the questions that I kept asking Frank is, you know, well, why would you disappear instead of fake your death if your problems were really that grave, pardon the pun, Um You know, because faking your death really means um, staging some kind of accident or hoax to make it appear that you have perished, that that's the end, that's the period, punctuation point on your story. Whereas disappearing means, you know, it's kind of your classic case of dad goes out for cigarettes one day and never comes back. So it's just more open-ended. So my question to Frank was always like, well, why wouldn't you fake your death? And what he kept telling me over and over again was that it's actually a lot easier to get yourself caught if you fake your death instead of disappearing. There's more for investigators to look into, into the circumstances surrounding your death, especially if you were in some hot water. You know, usually it's uh, legally, financially, or maritally Mm -hmm. around the time of your fake death. The way I got to Frank in the first place is because I, like many Americans, have a ton of student loan debt from both my undergraduate and graduate degrees. And I was having dinner with a friend one night when I was in graduate school, and I'd taken out all these loans so foolishly, all my own fault. And I was saying, oh, my gosh, Matt, what am I going to do after graduation when I have to start paying these back? I think I need to just find a country with a really nice beach and no extradition policy and just <laughs> put through the cracks. 
any fantasy probably a lot of us have had at one point or another. And my friend said very offhandedly, meaning nothing of it, he said, oh, or you could fake your own death. And I was like, that's such a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? So I just became very fascinated with the whole concept of how you would do it pragmatically. Of, you know, I'd always heard about death hoaxes like Elvis and Chupac. And mm-hmm. I just became totally enraptured with the idea, especially once I met characters like Frank and real people out in the world who, who deal in disappearance and suicide. Were you serious about disappearing? I don't think I was. I mean, I think that I had, it was really more of the fantasy that was very appealing. You know, I always joke that if I'd actually faked my death, my mom would kill me. So I'd be dead right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I could ever go through it. You'd end Um, up missing the ones you cared about, I think, eventually. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the real reason why so many people end up getting caught you know, isn't because they get their image captured on closed-circuit TV somewhere, um, and it isn't really a function of the kind of omnipresent surveillance and technology of the world we live in today. It's really because people can't cut ties with their past lives. It's just because they can't stop talking to mom, um, you know, on her birthday or when they miss her. So the it's really kind of a human nature problem why people have, have a real hard time staying dead when they're supposed to be. <laughs> How often, Elizabeth, does this happen, where people actually try to disappear? Yeah, it's such a good question, and it's a really tough one to answer. So, excuse me, in the case of um, fake deaths for life insurance purposes, which is a main factor of people who fake their deaths usually. They're trying to cash out on that life insurance policy and, you know, get rich and die, die trying, as it were. Um, so I spoke with um, the Coalition of uh, Insurance Fraud Investigators, and these are people who monitor all insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. So not just life insurance, but Medicaid fraud, Everything. You know, yeah. any kind of fraud you could commit. And they said that just life insurance fraud is less than 1% of what they see on an annual basis. And speaking to fraud investigators, you know, the guys who are kind of like the real-life Indiana Joneses, when there's a fishy case that comes in from some far-flung country, they get on the plane and, you know, traipse out to the village in Mongolia, and they'll dig up empty coffins sometimes. They have pretty amazing jobs. They're investigating usually several dozen of these a year, but these are only really high-sticker price frauds you know, in the in the realm of the millions that they're investigating because it's a kind of a cost-benefit analysis for the company. They're not going to be paying these guys thousands of dollars a day right. unless the policy is very high. So the kind of inherent paradox with trying to get a good number on death fraud is that people who do it successfully are simply presumed dead. We don't know. We only hear about the um, cases that go awry. So with those just at least American cases, it's around a couple hundred a year. And do they disappear? Are there fake bodies with the teeth oh, pulled gosh. out? What what happens? <laughs> I mean, you name it. It's pretty amazing. So one of the ways in which uh, people often attempt to commit life insurance fraud, particularly, again, this all kind of goes to your motives of why you're trying to... Sure. And the benefactor so, in these cases, Elizabeth, would be whom? The guy's wife or some girlfriend indeed, or what? 
Yes, exactly. So it's typically, um, you know, a wife, uh, a child, um, usually someone you're blood related to. Are they in on the um, scam? Yes, they have to be. Unfortunately, you can't collect your own life insurance policy. So that's one of the kind of tricky parts is you need a trusted co-conspirator. And as a lot of the fraud investigators told me, you know, they will always first thing, like go to the person who claimed the money and start interviewing them. And a lot of people break pretty quickly. Uh. <laughs> so you've got to really know who you're getting. Who you're He's getting hiding under with. the treehouse. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Um, but to answer your first question, so for life insurance fraud purposes, people will get very theatrical. And typically, these kinds of cases are occur overseas in countries where there's a very robust culture of um, of fraud. So one place um, that I visited for the book and that the investigators told me again and again where they see cases coming from right now is the Philippines. So your average fraudster will go to the Philippines, and you can get so theatrical with your fake death over there. You can purchase a body and a morgue like it, it can be anything from a black market morgue well they will pick up you know dead derelicts off the street and keep them on ice for these purposes or you can go into a municipal morgue where they're just like very overtaxed and say oh it's uncle marco we oh finally found gosh. him yeah it's pretty grim stuff and they take that body and immediately cremate it and then they will host fake funerals where they will hire you know locals pay them a few bucks to weep over the casket. Wow. And what about the death certificate? The Will you get a phony death oh, certificate? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a big part. So most of the best frauds really don't t- take place with, you know, these very theatrical kind of scenarios. Because then what they'll do is videotape the funeral and provide all this photo evidence to the life insurance company. But it's really about the documents. There are a lot of documents that go into a death. When you think about it, you have... The death certificate. If it was a grisly accident, there's an autopsy report. There's a doctor's, um, you know, testimony, witness testimony, police reports. So making sure that you know, and I don't recommend this by any means, but <laughs> uh, really looking at those documents and getting high quality um, documents is really how most death frauds are carried out. Give us an example uh, of a story of an individual who tried this. And let's sure. say succeeded, and then maybe one where they got caught. Mm. Well, the problem is, for, again, for my book, I talked to people all who, some people who did fake their deaths, but they all got caught. They all got I caught. I was talking to them. I unfortunately have not found that holy grail person yet of someone who's presumed dead and wants to talk to me. But hey, coast to coast listeners, if you're out there, they, I'm if it's right, when we go to calls story. next hour, they might <laughs> pop up for you. That would be great. Um, So one of my favorite stories um, comes out of the U.K., and it's about a man uh, named John Darwin, who, in his own words, he called himself Mr. Boring. He was married to his wife, Anne, at the time, and he was a school teacher. At the time, he was a corrections officer, and he and Anne had gotten themselves into some pretty steep real estate debt. They had taken out mortgages on a lot of different properties, um, and were having trouble paying the notes. They had tenants that weren't paying the rent on time. Um, so they, in John's own words, he realized at a certain point that 
he was really in over his head and he was worth more dead than alive. So his plan was to cash in on these life insurance policies and um, pensions that he had. So with the help of his wife, he staged his drowning in a kayaking accident on the North Sea, uh, right in front of his home in Seton, Carew, England, paddled out. Um, he kind of crash landed a little bit down the beach. His wife, Anne, picked him up in the car, drove him to the train station where he then took a train to the west coast of England, camped out on the beach for several months. He grew very gaunt and thin and grew this long beard and took on this elaborate disguise. He then actually returned to his own home. <laughs> they had this amazing Victorian house um, where they rented out half of it um, to uh, renters, and they lived in the other half. So he um, took on the name Carl Fennick, and as Carl Fennick, he posed as a, as a renter oh and had his gosh. own room next door. And the houses were connected through a series of, of stairs. So at night, he would just take these stairs and, you know, go go to bed with his wife and in the morning go back as Carl Fennick. So wow. they had two adult sons that thought he was dead the whole time. They were not in on this plan. So in the time that John was presumed dead, he managed to obtain uh, an authentic U.K. passport and the name of a person called John Jones who was born around the same time as him but died in childhood. And with his passport and with Anne, with his wife, they traveled all over the world to a dozen different countries. They bought property in Panama. Uh, and after about six years of this, John turned himself in. He was never caught. Um, what he told me was that his whole plan was to kind of use the um, release the, the liquidity in the homes and the life insurance and pensions to, you know, pay back his debts and then come back and make good. Well, as you can imagine, that's not exactly what happened. Um, he turned himself into a London police station in uh, December 2008, saying that he uh, had amnesia and that he couldn't account for events prior to the year 2000. And that ruse quickly unraveled, like within about 24 hours, um, so he served uh, three years and three months in prison. Anne actually ended up serving more time than him because she, she pleaded not guilty. Uh, they divorced while uh, he, they were serving their sentences. Um, but, you know, the amazing thing about John is, you know, we spent, um, I spent about a week with him, uh, you know, in Seton Carew after he was released from prison. And, you know, he showed me exactly where he launched the kayak and the homes and how everything happened. Um, but he's now, he's recently remarried, um, and he actually lives in the Philippines now. So <laughs> kind of full circle. <laughs> Amazing stories at how they would do this. And I guess you have to have a lot of guts, Elizabeth, to want to do this? Yeah, a lot of guts or also, like, a lot of self-confidence <laughs> in a way, kind of like, suffering from high self-esteem in the sense that you think that you'll be able to get away with it, that you're going to fool, uh, you know, law enforcement, right. fraud investigators, that you can really pull the wool over dozens and dozens of highly trained people's eyes. Um, I also think that it really comes down to desperation to go through with it. Um, and that's something that I realized in the course of researching my book is that like student loan debt isn't, isn't really that big of a motivation compared to people who find themselves millions and millions of dollars in debt 
or facing down, you know, pretty severe criminal charges. And you kind of start taking on some some fight or flight response. And it was uh, that's really one that that's flight. <laughs> Is it fraud to fake your death if you don't have any financial gain? Mm, it's a great question. So faking your death in and of itself is not illegal. So there's no law on the books called faking your own death. For Adam Thompson, Tom Danheiser, Dan Galanti, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasour, Jeremy Wills, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burles, Tim Benall, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.